What's up, everybody? This is the Get a Grip Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Grip, joined by my good friend today, Eddie Whitman. Eddie, what's up, man? How you doing? Corey, what's up? How's it going? Oh, man, finally. Yeah, I don't know, man. We started having some technical difficulties the last couple of days. Like, last night, we cut off at 40 minutes, and we weren't even close to being done. So, that's partially my fault. But, yeah, that, that sucked. And then, yeah, last time I tried to invite you, you couldn't hear me. So, man, like, technology, right? So yeah, frustrating sometimes. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. She's hit or miss. I never really know what you're getting. Um, all right, so last night we tried doing our uh, mock draft, NBA, something we do every year with the NBA and the NFL last four years. But um, had some technical difficulties, so we're going to redo that. Um, first 10 picks, we're not going to do any kind of banter. We're just going to kind of give a quick analysis and then move on from there. Uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking about other NBA news. Um, Scotty Pippen had a uh, pretty groundbreaking interview today with Dan Patrick. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, the biggest takeaways that I got out of it were, you know, it sounds like him and Michael Jordan were never really close. They were kind of just teammates. That's what it sounded like. Uh, that's what I kind of inferred from that um, and got from that interview. It sounded like they're not close today and they weren't really close back then. They were just like, you know, they worked really hard as teammates and they respected each other's games, but that's kind of as far as it went. And then calling Phil Jackson a racist, you know, because he didn't get a last-second shot uh, the season after Michael Jordan decided to go play baseball. I didn't really like that either. So I just want to get your thoughts on it. No, it kind of comes unexpectedly because, I mean, even from all the stories you hear and even the Last Dance documentary, at least it, it seems like he he and Michael, and he, he, they basically got along with everyone. So to come out with these bash statements that he's really not even close to Michael and really doesn't, seemed to respect Phil Jackson. Definitely came a surprise from my end because certainly he had a great NBA career. So I honestly was shocked to see that this is how, I guess, he feels about his career at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Just I wanted to kind of just give a couple quick thoughts. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I looked at stats. Like, Tony Kukoc was a better career three-point shooter and better from the field. Uh, from the field. Slightly, but still better. Um, you know, I get it. I understand where he's coming from. Like, you know, all those years, Michael was getting the last shot. He was he was the decision maker, whether he was going to take it or pass it to a teammate. He was the guy making, you know, the tough shots and making the tough decisions. But so I, I kind of get it from that end. Like, you know, it was his time to shine. Like, it was his team. Like, he was an MVP candidate, 93-94. You know, got the Bulls to the conference semifinals to a game seven. But it's like, dude, like, Sometimes, like, you're not going to have your number called. Like, I understand where he's coming from, but to call Phil Jackson a racist because he didn't he didn't drop a play for you, it's a little far-fetched. And I know he said something about, well, Dan, Patrick, you weren't in the locker room. You weren't around him every day. So, I mean, maybe there is something there that we just don't know about or haven't heard, but I have never heard anything about Phil Jackson being racist or even making racist remarks. I mean – Apparently he wrote a book about Kobe Bryant and then, you know, left, wrote the book, came back. I didn't really understand what that meant. I don't really think that meant anything. I think Kobe and Phil had a great respect for each other. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, he just sounds salty to me. 
I don't know. Like, he just sounds mad. Like, I don't think the documentary put him in the best light, the the last dance. Uh, I don't think it made him look the greatest, but, you know, because we all know Michael was running the show in that documentary. But I don't know. It just He just sounds really salty and bitter about parts of his career. I just don't understand why, because he had a great career. He won six titles. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I guess I feel like we would have heard something in terms of the film perspective if, if Michael had a problem with it, too, so. I mean, I guess everyone has their own personal opinions. It was kind of obvious how Pippen took that back then when they decided to go with Kukoc. He basically subbed himself out of the game. So, I mean, as I said before, it's a surprise to me that this is how he feels at this point in time because he was probably at the highest level for pretty much his entire career. So to see this is how his, I guess, his final thoughts on his career are at this point, certainly a big surprise to me personally. Uh, just a couple quick questions about the conference finals. Um if Trey Young doesn't sprain his ankle last night, do the Hawks win that game? I don't think they do still, to be honest. Uh, Chris Middleton won the game for them. Giannis was big down the stretch. I think I, – honestly, we don't know the answer to that, but I, it's, it's kind of hard for me to say that if that didn't happen, they would have won because I think the game played out how it was ultimately going to. The Bucks made big shots down the stretch. Certainly the game could have looked different. Maybe have been a little closer down the stretch, but – I think to say that they would have won the game is a, a bit of a reach in my opinion, but who knows? Obviously, Trey Young was probably like the best player on the floor for parts of that game last night, so obviously it's a big question mark, but to, to say they would have won, I don't, I'm not going to go that far. Do you think the Hawks are a flawed team? I mean, certainly in certain areas. I think DeAndre Hunter getting hurt certainly hurt them. Like on the wing, they seem a little bit, I guess, inconsistent, I'll say. Even Bogdanovich said good moments, but on the wings, they – Certain, certainly have a lot of talented players, but to say they're the perfect team that is going to win the East, I think that it's a impressive run they made to this point. But I think at a certain point, Milwaukee's talent is going to continue to show that they're the better team. I think there were just I, before I transition to the Clippers, I just wanted to make a quick point. See if you agree with it. I mean, I think the Hawks are kind of like a slightly they're they're to me they're kind of like the Mavs the Mavericks just a little different from a couple of perspectives I think Luka is a better overall player than Trey Young but they're close um I I do think Luka's better than Trey Young I don't think he's way better but I, I definitely think he's a better overall player and I think the difference between the Mavs and the Hawks are is that you know the Hawks shooters are a little bit more reliable and their big guys are more around they work around the rim rent Rather, I mean, Collins can shoot, but, you know, him and Capella do most of their work around the rim and on the glass. And then Porzingis and Kleber, you know, are more of the shooters. And then, you know, Boban gets occasional minutes um, here and there. But um, I, I think they're very similar teams. You know, the, the teams are run through Luka and Trey Young. They have a bunch of shooters and big guys. Um, you know, one team bigs can shoot in theory, and then the others work around the rim. You kind of agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think – I think Atlanta has a little bit more talent overall than Dallas, but yeah, I can see the comparison. Basically, the game's controlled 100% by Trey Young. The ball's always in his hands, and the other guys eventually are either catching a lob, shooting open three, and that's about it. So yeah, I, I agree with that comparison, because Luka and Trey, basically, they, they probably have the two highest usage rates in the league, because it seems like they always have the ball in their hands at every single possession. So yeah, I could definitely see that comparison, absolutely. All right, so a couple questions about the Clippers' sons. Um, to this point... And given what you know of the last couple games, do you still think that Paul George has had a good playoff run? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, 
to put the expectations for him to carry a team and put him on the level of LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, even Kawhi, his own teammate, their expectations. I think, obviously, after last year in the bubble, kind of throwing up a dud in a lot of games. I think he's proven, showing people that he's a he's a real star player in the league. But to put him in the category of having to carry a team to the finals, I don't think it's fair. So, yeah, I certainly think he's played well. He's had some bad shooting performances, but overall, I think it'd be, it's hard to say that he hasn't had a good playoffs. I think he certainly has proved that he's back playing at the high level that Paul George has shown us in years past. The Suns are up 3-1, game fives tonight. Do you think the Suns are winning this series or the Clippers are losing this series? Like, who, which team in your mind is winning or losing? Because to me, I think the Clippers should be up 3-1, if I'm being completely honest. Like, I, I feel like they've played um, – They, I feel like they should have won game two. And I just think the Clippers have had some bad breaks. But game four was theirs to win, and, you know, the Suns were giving them the win, and they couldn't make a shot in the fourth quarter. But um, So do you think the Suns are winning, or do you think the Clippers are losing this series so far? Yeah, it's probably the boring answer, but I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously there was opportunity for the Clippers to win. Even even if you can't expect them to win two and four, got to get one of those games. You can't let both those games slip away. You certainly were right there, probably the favorite to win late down the stretch and to not come away with a win in either of those games. It's hard to win a series like that, so I'll say it's a little bit of both. I think it's hard to swallow. Like it's hard to embrace that, even though you didn't have Kawhi Leonard, to lose both games when Phoenix had no Chris Paul. It's a really young team with no Chris Paul, so to go down 0-2, considering Chris Paul was out, I think that that definitely hurt them. But hey, give Phoenix credit. I mean, the the you could say the Clippers are missing shots after shot, but both teams are really guarding, and it's good to see that in the NBA nowadays, teams that really embrace playing defense and playing with toughness, and the rest are definitely letting them play a little bit more than they do typically. So I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, the Suns are talented players, but, yeah, the Clippers definitely wasted a few opportunities to really take control of the series. Uh, just two more questions. Uh, do you think that Kawhi Leonard – like, where, where do you see Kawhi next year? Do you think he's going to stay with the Clippers – uh, he has a player option, so he can opt out or opt in. Uh, the option, it would be the last year of his three-year deal that he signed a couple years ago, um, that blockbuster move as a free agent. Uh, so do you think he stays with the Clippers, or do you think he leaves? Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I'd be shocked to see him leave for two reasons. I don't think Steve Ballmer will let him leave. Not saying he has control over it, but he'll basically do anything to keep Kawhi there. He wants to build a winner with the Clippers. I know they're trying to build a new arena and – Keeping him has to be a priority. And also, Kawhi's from California, from the L.A. area, so I'd be shocked for those two reasons to see him leave. But it certainly would be interesting to see, even if he entertains the possibility of leaving, um, definitely would make Clippers fans sweat it out a little bit for sure. I feel like this is the Clippers' year to win it. I mean, kind of like Milwaukee. I mean, I think both teams got a lot of breaks. I mean, you know, the Lakers kind of fell apart with injuries, you know, um, and they fell to the seventh seed after being a top-four seed for the first half of the year. Um, you know, they, you know, Donovan Mitchell had a bad ankle sprain and he was clearly hobbling those last couple games in the, the last series of the semi, the semifinals. Luca, his teammates didn't step up in that seven game series, despite playing amazing. I feel like the Clippers have gotten a lot of breaks. And of course, the Clippers being the Clippers get the worst break of them all when they lose their best player. You know, I don't know what. Kawhi is very high maintenance. You know, that's my only concern is that, you know, this is a guy that really demands a lot from teams and he wants a lot. Um, he's a great, he's a great player. He's top five. Um, 
you know, I, I think you're right. I don't think he will leave. Uh, he's from L.A. I think he's wanted to play in L.A. for a long time now. Uh, ever since, you know, the last couple of years in San Antonio, I feel like he's wanted to get, get back there at some point. So I don't think he'll leave. But it's really interesting because, you know, to me, like, what are the Clippers after this year? Because everyone's been talking about, well, you know, if they lose to the Mavericks, you know, they're going to have to blow the whole thing up. But if you're Steve Ballmer, you have to look at this and think, well, if Kawhi stays healthy, we probably would have won the title if, you know, they if they lose tonight or lose at some point in the series. Um, you know, so that's my thing with Kawhi. But, you know, I feel like with Kawhi, he's going to be hurt a lot going forward. So why you can't rely on that. But having said that, like you can't rely on him to be healthy because, you know, he gets hurt almost every year now. But – Kawhi Leonard's don't grow on trees, right? Like, you, if he leaves, you're not going to be able to replace him because you know that Paul George is not that guy because ever since Paul George's days with the Pacers, you know, those two years they got to the East Finals, when he had no expectations to be great, now he's expected to be a top 15 player, and you can tell that that pressure gets to him in the big, in the big moments, especially in the playoffs. So, I mean, you can't let Kawhi leave, but you can't rely on him. You know he's going to get hurt. And I feel like this knee injury is just going to be a, a reoccurring problem for them. Um, final question. Uh, do you think the winner of this series is going to win the title? I don't know. I think Milwaukee has a really good team. I think likely it would be Phoenix-Milwaukee. I think that could that is all the makings of being a six-game, seven-game series. And if the Clippers find a way to sneak into the finals, I think it also would be and I'm kind of marking down the Bucks as advancing, which I think is ultimately going to happen. But I think either way, we're in for a good NBA Finals, 100%. All right, so let's shift into our mock drafts. Uh, you know, we'll just go um, from the number one pick. You know, we already did the top ten last night before we had some technical difficulties. So, you know, we can just kind of go down the list, you know, maybe give a quick analysis and then just move on until we get to 11. And we can kind of just get back into our format. That sounds good. Sounds good to me. So I last night I had the Pistons, so we said Kane, Cade Cunningham. Um, I said he definitely is the best player in the draft. I don't think it's as – I don't think the gap from one to two is as big as many people will say. I think there's a lot of talent at the top of this draft. But the Pistons need a guy to build around. Cade Cunningham's that guy. They need the one guy that could build their team around. They have a lot of young talent around them. And I think guys like Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart could fit with Cade Cunningham absolutely with their shooting ability and – Stewart around the rim. So, yeah, this seems like the no-brainer pick for Detroit, unless unless they end up trading it, which would be a shock. But this seems to be the way they're going to go. Yeah, uh, just for the Rockets, you know, I kind of look at Jalen Suggs. And, you know, I, I've said this a lot the last few months. You know, I, I see a lot of Chris Paul in his game. You know, right now, uh, uh, Porter Jr. is their starting point guard as of right now. Um, and, you know, this guy's just made some bad decisions off the court. I think Jalen Suggs is – a really good leader. I think he had a lot showed a displayed a lot of leadership qualities for Gonzaga last year. Um, you know, he's got a great mid range game. He's, he's he's really good at seeing the floor and setting his teammates up. And he he's got a good three point shot. I think uh, he's got a lot of uh, Chris Paul's energy and tenacity on the defensive end. I just see a lot. Like I said, I see a lot of Chris Paul in his game. You know, it's it's a lot to live up to and to be compared to Chris Paul. I think there's a lot of pressure there, and it, it's a big honor for sure. But you know, I, I think we see that, you know, great point guards in this league are so valuable. You know, the Clippers, they haven't had great point guard play the last couple of years. I feel like having a guy that can really set the offense up and get their own shot late in games is so important. 
And, um, you know, I, I think Evan Mobley would be a good fit here. But, you know, the Rockets have Christian Wood and Kenya Martin Jr. and o Kelly Olenek. So, you know, I don't think that's the best fit here. I think he would still be good there, but I think they need a point guard. Jalen Suggs makes the most sense for me. Cleveland, I mean, I had them taking Jalen Green. I think they have a few options of potentially trading out. I don't think in this case they would take Evan Mobley because they just got Jared Allen. I expect him to resign, be resigned, but Jalen Green certainly has the star potential to be great. Freak athlete could really score the ball. Uh, I think I know Cleveland has a lot of young talent, but he potentially could be the best young player they have if they can add him to the roster. Uh, Evan Mobley. Uh, some people think he's the next Anthony Davis. I see a lot of similarities. He's got a seven-three wingspan. Excellent shot blocker, great on the defensive end. Uh, he led USC to the Elite Eight. Uh, I also see him in the form of Anthony Davis. Like, Anthony Davis couldn't really shoot coming out of college. Uh, and he also was kind of skinny and had a very small frame. So, you know, Evan Mobley is going to, just like Anthony Davis, I think over time his jump shot and three-point shot will get better. He did shoot 30% from three, um, you know, at, at USC in his freshman year. And he also shot below 70% from the line. But, you know, Anthony Davis was never a great free throw shooter either coming out of college. So I see a, a lot of similarities. Uh, I think his free throw shooting uh, and his three-point shooting will get better over time. And his frame will fill out within a couple of years. Uh, but I think he's got the defensive intangibles to stand out as a rookie as, as his offensive game kind of develops. Um, but I, I think Toronto's a perfect fit. They don't have a lot of depth inside. They, have, they got another, you know, kind of lanky Big guy and Chris Boucher, I think both of them inside would be a lethal combination of young shot blockers. Uh, you can kind of move Siakam to the three or the four. I think a point guard here would make sense if Jalen Suggs was available. I think that might be their, their pick if he is there because we don't know what's going to happen with Kyle Lowry. But uh, I think Mobley's got a lot. He's probably got the highest upside in this class. And um, anyone being compared to Anthony Davis sounds good to me. So um, I think this is a good fit for Toronto if Jalen Suggs is not available. Yeah, so at five for Orlando, I think the Wild they consider top five. We already did four of them. So Jonathan Kuminga seems to be the fifth guy on that list. Um, could probably play small forward or power forward. He's a big, strong forward. Definitely for his age, already physically ready to play in the NBA. If he can develop a jump shot, he could potentially be a building block piece for Orlando. Uh, it's probably be a tough pick. I'm sure there's a few guys that would be in the running here, but I think Kuminga potentially could be a wing player that they can try to build around. Orlando is there's the pride of talent right now after the trades they made at the deadline last year. So adding a young, talented player like Kuminga certainly will hopefully get their rebuild off to a good start. Uh, I'm going with Davion Mitchell, point guard out of Baylor at six. Um, you know, I don't really know what Shea Gilgis Alexander is. Is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Uh, either way, I think their point guard depth is kind of limited with Ty Jerome and Theo Melodon. Uh, Davion Mitchell may be the oldest player in this draft. And his ceiling may have already been reached, but it's a pretty good ceiling. He's relentless at attacking the rim. Uh, his three-point field goal percentage last year at Baylor was 44%. Uh, some people might say it's a one-season anomaly, but I look at it as uh, he really worked on his game and he got better. Uh, he's got a good first step, and he's a really good defender on the other side. And like I said, I don't know if Kemba Walker is going to be there for the whole season or even at the beginning of the season, but if he's there, uh, you know, Kemba's a great veteran leader. Uh no one on the Celtics organization had anything bad to say about him. He was a true professional. And I think uh, Kemba's presence, just like when Chris Paul was there, I think will be vital and continue to help the development of guys like Lou Dort, Shea Gildas Alexander, and uh, Davion Mitchell if he is selected by the Thunder at six. Yeah, so if Golden State ends up keeping seven, another basically trying to weigh, 
if they can make a trade, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to say Scotty Barnes for Florida State. I think he has a lot of qualities that would fit their team. Probably a more athletic version of Draymond. He's more of a small forward than a power forward. Maybe even some point guard qualities. I know Florida State put him at point guard a little bit, but really high IQ. can really pass the ball. Great athlete, can defend. If that jump shot can come along, he could be your star player, potentially. Uh, but I think Scotty Barnes, if they're in terms of who fits the Golden State and how they play and a lot of passing, a lot of ball movement, he certainly could fit in perfectly and potentially probably take him a few years to become a starting quality player, but certainly has all the tools to be a star player if he can develop that jump shot. And uh, the Orlando Magic at eight got their pick from the Bulls and the Nikola Vucevic trade. Um, you know, to me, man, like the Magic feels like, you know, they pick a big man every year in the first round. Um, so I, I think they're going to break that trend this year. At least I hope so, because, you know, it just would be another head-scratching pick if they did take a big. But I think James Boatnight from UConn, you know, Boatnight got a lot of criticism, I think, for being a high-volume shooter, and that really wasn't efficient. But as I told you, you know, Boatnight is a shot creator, shot maker, you know, and he just didn't have any help at UConn. You know, UConn was a good defensive team last year, but they lacked offensive playmakers and scorers. Um, you know, and, you know, as a defense – if you only got one guy to worry about, it's a lot harder to get good looks if you know who's going to take the shots. And that's kind of what happened to him. Um, you know, he's a good defender as well. And, you know, I think the Magic just lack guys that, you know, are not afraid to take those shots and go ISO. You know, they have Gary Harris, who they got in the trade with the Nuggets. But I don't really see him as high of an upside. Even though he's had a good career, I don't think he's got as high of upside as a score as um, Boat Knight and RJ Hampton. Played a lot of games, second half of the year for the Magic, that were just, you know, they were out of playoff contention. But you know, I think Bo Knight's got great upside, and I think he could be in their starting lineup uh, for opening night, potentially second half of the season. Yeah, so at nine, we got Sacramento. Uh, really trying to get over the hump. They've added a lot of young pieces. Seem to have hit in their la- on their last pick with Halliburton, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton last year. They got De'Aaron Fox, they got Buddy Heald, Bagley, Rashawn Holmes. They have a lot of talent. So I think – Keon Johns from Tennessee certainly is a project. Might be the best athlete in the draft. Had a 48-inch vertical at the time, which is absolutely absurd. Can really, really defend. Skill driver of the basketball. He still needs to develop the rest of his offensive game. Certainly a work in progress, but there is star potential there. So I think Sacramento and the place they currently are, I think it's worth a shot to take a, take a chance on this kid from Tennessee, Keon Johnson. I think he could fit well and hopefully try to get Sacramento over the hump. They've, they've been trying to get over for a number of years now. Uh, whenever we do our next mock draft in a few weeks or a couple weeks or whatever, uh, this pick could change. But currently I have Trey Mann, point guard from Florida, going to the Pelicans. I don't know what the status is with Lonzo Ball. I don't know if, you know, he's a restricted free agent. So if another team offers him a contract, the Pelicans can match it. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with him. I think the Pelicans have got a lot of questions that they got to figure out. they got to find a new head coach. they got to kind of figure out parts of the roster. But, I mean, you look at Lonzo, I mean, they did drop Kira Lewis out of Alabama in the first round last year, and they also have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who they took in the first round a couple years ago. They still have Eric Bledsoe. So I don't know if the point guard is, like, the top priority, but, you know, Trey Mann is just, you know, he's a great uh, scorer, and he really improved his shot. He hit 40% of his threes last year as a sophomore, and, you know, he really emerged late in the year as a – go-to creator and score, you know, he kind of flashed that in the Virginia Tech game and the NCAA tournament. Uh, he's got to improve his decision-making, something that Lonzo already possesses. Um, but I definitely think that um, 
getting a point guard that really meshes well with Zion and Brandon Ingram, I think is important. Now, again, Lonzo has good chemistry with Ingram and Zion, and uh, I definitely think he's likely to stay. But because we don't know that, uh, I'm just going to you know, give a point guard to the Pelicans and Trey Mann. So I guess we'll jump into our continuing it. So 11, we have Charlotte. Um, certainly, Lamelo Ball, I think, I think proved to a lot of people that he could really play, even to, I'm sure, people in the NBA that were kind of unsure about his fame and popularity. He certainly proved that he could play winning rookie of the year. Got a lot of young talent. I think there may not be a lot of power forward center kind of guys right here that I potentially could see them trading back a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm going to say Kai Jones from Texas. I think they need a, a athletic center. Uh, Bismack Biyombo, certainly I don't think he's the long-term answer at power forward or center. But I think Kai Jones potentially could be a, a center player in the league. Definitely a great athlete. can really guard for a center. Um, might be a little higher than most people would expect him to go, but I think he has a real chance to go in the water just because he's he's a uniquely athletic, quick, big guy who can really move around. If he can add a little bit of weight, I think he could be a pretty good center. And I think it's a real position of need for Charlotte. So may not be the best player left available, but in terms of what they need, I think he could be a good fit here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the Pel- I think what the Hornets need is is uh, defense inside, right? And um, you know that that's the they need size. You know they got PJ Washington, but if you look at the rest of their team, I mean Bismack Biombo is you know an older an older veteran. Um, Cody Zeller is uh, he's a good bench guy, but he's not a great starter. They got Miles Bridges, who's more of a three, not a four. They got the Martin twins, Jalen McDaniels, like a lot of like guys that are like good but not great. Yeah, I think Kai Jones has got a, a huge amount of upside. I think he's got one of the highest ceilings in this class. Uh, he's a big guy. You know, he's got a good shooting touch. While he only took 34 threes last year, he did make 38%. So there's certainly some some upside there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a mobile big. And I, I think in today's NBA, you know, having a mobile big man that can shoot is so important. Um, he's a super athlete, but just like, you know, Mobley, he's going to have to fill out his frame, you know, um, he's only, you know, 19, 20 years old, but, you know, I remember watching him play a couple times and the announcers were always saying like this guy, watch out for him in the NBA. Cause he's got, he's got tools and a lot of upside to be, uh, to be special. And, you know, I know we've said a lot of these guys are special. Um, so, you know, you never know what these guys that are high upside, but. I think that's a good fit for the Hornets. I think they do need some uh, some young depth inside, and as we know, their defense was uh, pretty terrible in the playing game, you know, against Absolutely. the Pacers. So, and even the second half of the season. So, I think that's something they have to address. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the biggest need on their team, and I think that'd be a nice pickup for them for sure. All right. So the San Antonio Spurs, back to back seasons, first time they haven't made the playoffs in back-to-back years since, like, the late 90s, which is pretty crazy. Um, you know, I'm going to go – you're, you're going to love You're going to love this one. I'm going to go with uh, Franz Wagner to the, to the Spurs. Um, you know, as we know, uh, Greg Popovich has got a great love for international guys. And, um, you know, Franz Wagner, I, I just – listen, I, I'm not the biggest fan – but I saw, like, a lot of good traits that he has in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he had some really bad shooting games. But, you know, he he, uh, he showed a lot of potential on making threes. And he's a very versatile defender. As we know, you know, Popovich loves, um, 
you know, smaller school guys and international guys. And I think that's a good fit. And, you know, we don't know what DeMar DeRozan's going to be. He's a free agent. Uh, Marcus Aldridge retired after he was traded to Brooklyn. Rudy Gay is, is getting up there. He's really old. Um, you know, so they got Kelvin Johnson as one of their starting power forwards, and he's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, I think Franz Wagner would add more shooting to this team. Um, you know, they looked really challenged shooting from the perimeter against Memphis in the playoff game. You know, Deontay Murray, DeRozan, Kelvin Johnson, Lonnie Walker, you know, they all had off shooting games from three. Um, so I think adding a guy like Wagner who can use a good three and D guy. Um, and I think we, as we, like we said, I don't know how long pop is going to stay in uh, coach in San Antonio. I, I don't know. He, he's going to be there as long as he wants, but I think this would be a good fit for him as far as, you know, three and D and he's an international guy and pop loves those kind of players because they're smart. They understand the game. I think this is a great fit for the Spurs. Yeah, I can see that. I think he certainly fits what they need. Um, I know the Spurs are really trying to get over the hump. They have a ton of young talent, and I think adding him to the pool of a lot of, a lot of young wings and guards they have, certainly the, the way he plays, plays both ends, he'll put, really will commit to play defense. He really is one of the better, I guess, even defenders in the draft. So I, I could see that as a really realistic fit for sure. All right, Eddie, who do you got going to the Pacers? Yeah, so the Pacers are interesting. They just hired Rick Carlisle. I think they have a lot of, this team is going to be expected to be a playoff team next year. Uh, they, they do a lot of interesting parts, a lot of pretty talented players, but I'm going to say I'm going to take a guy who could help them right away. I'm going to say Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. I think I don't think it's – I think his maybe most ideal fit, but I think he could help them a lot. I think he's more than a shooter. I think he has has the ability to take, take the ball off the dribble a little bit. Obviously, his main skill is to shoot the ball, but I think he's a more well-rounded player than he gets credit for. So I think an Indiana team that – has been trying to get over the hump and would be a real real threat in the playoffs. I think they're, they're going to try to add a guy that can help them right away and add to that young core they have with Brogdon, LaVert, Warren, Sabonis, and Turner. That's a really good, pretty, pretty good vibe. And to bring a guy like potentially Kisper off the bench certainly could help them try to make a run to be a real threat in the playoffs. Oh, no, I agree. I, I see Kispert as a guy that you know can start right away. I mean, if you look at, if you look at their depth, I mean, you know, as of right now, I mean, they're starting um, – Small forward is, is Justin Holiday, and then right behind him is Edmund Summer, you know, two unproven guys. You know, so I think that's something to definitely consider. And, you know, the Pacers are one of few teams in the league that played through their center. Uh, I think DeMontis Sabonis is a player that if you talk to 100 NBA fans, like casual fans, like I guarantee you, like over 75% of them are going to say, who, who's, Sabonis? who's this guy Sabonis? Like they won't even know who he plays for. But this guy is really good. He just plays for a team that's not nationally relevant. And, you know, but I see a lot of similarities to Nikola Jokic in his game, like very similar. Like Jokic might be a little bit better of a shooter, but, you know, Sabonis' dad, Arvantis Sabonis, was like the first big man that could pass. So we know where that came from. That That's all in the bloodline, you know. He was one of the first European big guys that kind of came over to the league. He didn't play in the league very long because, you know, his country in Europe in Eastern Europe wouldn't let him leave. So he couldn't come to the United States, you know, for five years after he wanted to come. So he didn't play a lot. He didn't play very long with the Blazers in the 90s. But he was one of those guys that just like he was just a passer. And Sabonis has a lot of skill and he's a great passer. 
you know, I think I think Kispert could come in right away and, you know, be add another shooting element. You know, I, I don't really look at Karis LeVert as a great shooter. Like, I think he's more of a finisher around the rim. He can make threes. Um, but, you know, they don't have a lot of shooters on this team outside of Doug McDermott. So I think you look at Kispert, you know, he made 45, 43% of his threes last year as, uh, at Gonzaga. Um, actually, no, as a junior. He's got a really quick release, kind of similar to Clay Thompson. And he's really good moving off the ball, which is important when you play with a guy like Sabonis, who's always looking to make passes for his teammates. Um, but defensively, I don't know what Corey Kispert's going to be. He's not really the best defender. Um, he, he often got beat off the dribble often, you know, especially in the NCAA tournament where it's more evident when you're watching these guys. So that's my only concern, especially for a coach like Rick Carlisle, who despite, you know, the Mavs past couple of years not playing defense, he does preach defense, but he can shoot the lights out the gym. And uh, I think that'd be a good fit, you know, and I think he can play right away, but he's going to have to get better at defense if he wants to play a lot of minutes as a rookie. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's a good fit, but yeah, there's other parts of his game he has to improve, but I think he can make an impact for Pacers for sure. All right, so the Golden State Warriors, actually, like, we already kind of talked about this. Like, I don't know if they're going to have either of these picks. Like, I could definitely see, like, um, either of, uh, I could definitely see, like, either of these picks being traded for a vet, um, but because we don't know that, and we already gave them, we already gave them Scotty Barnes. So I'm going to give them some more scoring punch off the bench. I'm going to go with Cameron Thomas out of LSU. He led the – he was top five in the nation last year in scoring per game. Uh, he played really well in the NCAA tournament. Um, he's a bucket getter. Um, he made nearly 90% of his shots from the free throw line. You know, he's another one of those guys that's high volume, low efficiency, but – you know, I think if you put him in, you know, he shot 32% from three, 40% from the field. Sometimes he takes some wild shots, which I did see a couple times in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, and he's also not a great playmaker at this point. But I think learning from guys like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, I think, will certainly help his game. And, and they're not going to ask a lot of him right away. Like, But I think he's a guy that can come off the bench, kind of like a Lou Williams or a J.R. Smith or a Jamal Crawford that can immediately come in and score. He's a big – 6'4 shooting guard. And again, I think the efficiency part of his game and the playmaking, I think he can learn from, you know, head coach Steve Kerr played a long career in the NBA and was also a really good uh, career three-point shooter. And then obviously the two of the best three shooters alive in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. But I think that was one of the biggest weaknesses last year for the Warriors. Their bench production was not always great. You know, Jordan Poole and Kent Bazemore, you know, they'd have a couple game, pretty good games here and there, but they were never great. You know, Steph was asked to do a lot last year without Clay, so I think adding a guy that can score off the bench is vital for this team if they want to return to playoff contention. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, if they, the big question is if they have even have these picks by the time the draft comes around. But I could see that as a potential fit for sure. If there's another scoring punch off the bench, you can't ever have enough guys that can score the ball, especially even to just spot Curry and Thompson maybe for a few minutes and try to fill it off off the bench. He's certainly a guy that could potentially fill that role. Absolutely. Can I just say one thing real quick? You notice that we haven't said my boy's name, Jalen Johnson, you know, the guy that quit on Duke. Yeah, I think there's a reason for that. I, mean, I don't know where this guy's going to go. I'm sure he'll come up. Um, you know, a lot of people think he's going to go in the top 15. But, you know, I really do believe that him quitting on Duke. I mean, I mean, he may think he didn't quit. That's how it appeared. Right. I think you agree with that. Um, I think he'll be a top 20 pick, but. 
I just wanted to throw that in there because, you know, I, I'm still kind of bitter about that. You know, um, my belief is when you commit to something, you don't quit halfway through. That's why I've never been a fan of guys transferring midseason in college football or basketball. I just want to throw that in there, but go ahead. That's funny because I was just about to say his name for Washington here, but yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Certainly, certainly, I think I think it's definitely reasonable to say there's going to be teams that are turned away from him just because of that sure reason, no matter how talented he is. That's I think that's the case of reality. I think that's just how it's going to be for certain teams that are going to think that way. But certainly, he he does have talent. I think there's definitely some strengths he has. There's definitely some areas he needs improvement in. I think he certainly is certainly. I mean, broadly, it is a talented player. Can dribble dribble and pass pretty well for a forward, but. Another guy who is, I guess I'll say, to say it nicely, an inconsistent shooter. I think he's a little bit predictable in his offensive game, but certainly the talent's there. And I think a team like Washington that could use, surely in the playoffs, they prove that they need more guys that can score the ball and at least just make plays. So I think at this point at 15, I think Jalen Johnson could be worth could be worth could be worth a shot for a team that's trying to, I guess, improve as a playoff team with Westbrook and Beal. I think he's a guy that potentially could try to come in and give him another scoring punch, but certainly teams are going to prove him as a risk. Who knows what the factors were for his decision. I'm not going to try to read into the lines too much, but certainly it's a cause for concern there to stop playing midway through the season, basically tracking towards the end of the year, but eventually a team's going to take a chance on him. I just say no comment. No, I'm kidding. Kidding. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like uh, The thing with Jalen Johnson is, just putting my personal feelings aside, I do think that he did flash some playmaking ability at Duke, kind of like as a point forward a little bit. Not a lot. Now, my biggest issue with him is, you know, he, I don't think he really settled well with, like, physicality. You know, I think whenever they – you know, Duke had a pretty bad year last year. Uh, they won some games at the end of the season, but, you know, and – I've said I've said this for a few months now, like when I when talking about last college basketball season, I said coming in that, you know, all the young teams that have, are relying on one and duns and a lot of freshmen and younger guys, like they're going to struggle because, you know, it's so important for those young teams to have those offseason workouts and the non-conference games to kind of build chemistry and figure out the rotations. That's why teams like Gonzaga and uh, UCLA and Michigan and Alabama and uh, who else made the final four? Baylor, you know, Houston. That's why those so, that's why those teams were so good last year because they had a lot of juniors and seniors that have played together before. So they didn't really need as much of that chemistry building, rotational, you know, uh, understanding. And the coaches, they, they didn't need that. And I think you would agree with that. And I think that's why teams like Kentucky and Duke and uh, Kansas and Michigan State – you know, I think that's why all of them struggled last year because those teams rely on North Carolina. Those all, those teams all rely on freshmen majority of the time. But yeah, I don't know. He just he didn't he didn't feel like you know coming in. Some people were saying he was gonna be a top five pick. I never saw that. I, I didn't see. I saw some playmaking, and occasionally he'd have a big game on the glass. But you know, I didn't see him really fight through contact often. Occasionally, and he never really flashed as a shooter. And he, and he did have issues with turnovers. I don't know. A lot of upside here, and the Wizards need talent. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're going straight for talent, this guy has it on paper, but uh, it might take a few years for that to really come out and uh, show in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think this, we'll see how he turns out to be in the pros, but as I said, some team's going to take a risk on him at some point. I don't think he's a bad 
he doesn't seem like he's a bad kid. I don't think he's never done anything wrong. Just quitting your team never really is typically a good look in my eyes. Um, I'm going to go with a guy you've probably never heard of. But, you know, I, the Thunder to me, you know, they got this pick from the Celtics and the Kemba Walker trade. Um, this pick to me is all about long term. You know, the Thunder have a lot of picks in the next 10 years. So I think they're – I think they can take a take a flyer on an international guy. I'm going to say Josh Giddy. Um, you know, like I said, if they let's just assume, we're assuming they take Davion Mitchell, and then they got Shea Gillis Alexander. Uh, so there are a couple other guys that maybe could fit here, like Moses Moody, a freshman from Arkansas, Chris Duarte, Jared Butler. I mean, there are, there are some other guys that could fit here, but I'm going to go with Josh Giddy. He's, you know, for CBS, he's their 12th ranked prospect. I've never even I've never heard his name until like just now. Um, but you know, he's a six, eight, small forward. He's got, you know, good playmaking, good ball handler He's really improved as a shooter. Um, but the thing is, is that he's just going to need to improve as a scorer and a shooter. Um, he's not super efficient, but again, I think efficiency and improving as a shooter just come in time. Like that's just something you work on and you get better at over time. Um, but he's a young kid and you listen, the thunder are thinking long-term here. Okay. They're, they're trying to find, a lot of young guys that they can build around for the future. And I think this guy is just another piece of the puzzle. Uh, but, of course, they could go with a more known commodity in one of the college prospects. But I, can, I see a lot of potential here for this, for this young guy. And as we know, international prospects that are, have good size and are playmakers, you know, who, who does that sound like, right? Like, didn't Luca have those exact same? Oh, here's another weakness from Giddy. Doesn't have a lead burst or a quick, quick twitch to allow him to blow by defenders. Didn't, didn't people say that about Luca? I just want to throw that in there. Like, people said the same thing about Luca. This guy's not quick. Shot's not great. He's got to improve as a shooter. So, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying he's Luca, but I'm saying there are a lot of similar criticisms and a lot of similar comparisons and strengths. Um, and I think for a Thunder team that just needs to kind of find anything, uh, I think this might be a good flyer to take. Yeah, he certainly was a late riser. I know he was, I mean, in the heart of the college basketball season, he was more so a second-round kind of guy in the 30s or 40s. But I've, I've watched him a little bit. He's certainly, as you said, he's a high-IQ player. He can really pass the ball. And I think that's a skill that unique to find. There's guys that can make people play next and pass the ball, but he could really pass the ball. And for a young player to have that kind of IQ, I think he averaged seven assists out in Australia, which is pretty impressive. So certainly it could be a good, yeah, as you said, OKC has so many picks. I'm sure they're going to take a reach with some of them, and I think this could be definitely a spot to see that. So I also have 17 for Memphis. Uh, I'm going to say Moses Moody. Some people have him as a lottery talent. I think I have him just outside of it. I know there's been cases that he he was he did put up big numbers against against lesser opponents. I guess some of the bigger, more talented teams. He did have some bad shooting performances, but certainly a guy could really score the ball. Uh, maybe a guy you could pair with Dylan Brooks and John Morant in that backcourt on the wing. Certainly a player that potentially could add to that young core at, that seems to keep getting better. There's another score. I think that's what they struggled in Utah. Guys that can create their own shot. It was just about Ja and Dylan Brooks. That was about it. So I think another guy that can create create for themselves on, on the wing at the two or three, I think it'd be a nice little interesting fit for Memphis. I think he actually kind of fits their persona really well. I mean, he's he's got he's great on the defensive end. He crashes the glass hard. Um, and he showed promising flashes as a playmaker, especially in the pick and roll. I think this is a kind of guy that you want coming off the bench 
You know, I like Grayson Allen, but I think Grayson Allen for this team is more of a spot-up shooter, maybe occasionally in the pick-and-roll, uh, occasional drive. But I, I kind of look at Moody, you know, maybe as a guy that can run the second unit instead of DeAnthony Melton or Grayson Allen, or maybe he, they can all run together. Um, you know, this, this team is trying to build a culture going forward with a bunch of young guys. And you know, I think Moses Moody fits the mold of the Memphis grit and grind era. It's got excellent size, fits the 3 and D, you know, model. Um, you know, he's going to have to improve, you know, his consistency against high-level competition because, as you said, the NCAA tournament – wasn't consistent as far from efficiency and scoring perspective, but that definitely fit, I definitely think he fits the mold of the Memphis Grizzlies. I think that'd be a good pick for them. Yes, yeah, so we'll certainly see. I think, as you said, I think he fits their grit and grind mold. I think he could be a good defensive player. I mean, Arkansas, they're forced to guard, so he certainly is a player that could play both ends. Oh my gosh, man, the the Thunder again! Like this is <laughs> this is getting this is getting crazy. Like you kind of forget, like you know, how many guys. How many like players do these guys actually have? It's pretty incredible. Um, there's kind of been a name that we haven't mentioned yet that's actually like rated pretty highly. Um, I'm gonna say uh, Jaden Springer. I mean, I don't want to keep giving guards to the Thunder, but you know, I don't really see any great like big guys like in the mid like you know in the top 25 prospects. There's not a lot. Like this is more of a guard heavy draft. Um, you know, I don't think there's such thing as having too many point guards. You know, I don't really look at the Thunder's second unit. Like, Theo Melodon and Ty Jerome, like, to me, like, those aren't long-term fits. Neither is Kemba. But if you get Davion Mitchell and you get a guy like Jaden Springer that can run the second unit, uh, I think that's something that could work. I mean, you know, he, he obviously – good range as a shooter. He doesn't – he's 18 years old. He's not going to turn 19 until a month before the season. So there's still a lot of time for him to grow and mature. And, again, as I said about Kemba – if this pick happens, you know, he's going to be able to help him kind of grow his professional in his rookie year. Um, and, again, another guy that we've kind of talked about, good playmaker on defense, good anticipation. But, again, he's 18 years old. He still needs to mature. And he still needs to fill out his body. But I think there's a lot there from a crea creativity perspective on the offensive end and a lot of uh, potential on the defensive end. And he's a good shooter from his one year at Tennessee, good IQ, um, so I don't know if the Thunder are going to go with, you know, two guards and a small forward. I'm not sure, but you know, they're, I think a lot for a lot of guys on the Thunder right now, they're not guaranteed to be in their future plans outside of maybe Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Lou Dort. I think those are the only two guys that are a hundred percent guaranteed to be in their future plans unless they get traded. So with that being said, I think everyone's jobs are up for grabs. And so I, with that, I'm just going to say, go for the high upside point guard, you know, and make him the 10th high upside player in this first round. Yeah. I mean, OKC certainly has a ton of uh, swings at the plate. I mean, they could, they're set up to take some chances, certainly have a lot of opportunities to bring players in and really get a good look at them. So it'll be interesting to see how they use all these picks, but well, it's certainly probably the biggest question mark in this draft. So I'll go next to the New York Knicks. Let's I think go a, Knicks! I know. I think a big thing for the Knicks is they, and it, really in all seriousness, is they finally do have an identity. I think they've been lacking that for the past since Patrick Ewing. Just, just figuring out who they are. I think it's fair to say they're just a tough, gritty, hard-nosed team. And I'm sure you think what name I'm going to say now. I think a guy that probably fits that mold perfectly is Io Dosumu of Illinois. Um, I think he perfectly fits what the Knicks are trying to build, which is tough, hard-nosed guys who play on both ends, 
will compete every possession. And I think he'd have a real chance to play and potentially start right away. He's a guy that's ready to play right away. I think both of our, one of our favorite players in college basketball this past year. And outside of liking him as a player, I think he certainly could really fit what the Knicks are trying to build. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they can get him at 21. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the Hawks are going to do at 20, but I mean, if you kind of look at the Knicks, like, you know, they just, they shot 34% as a team from three and they only had one guy on the team shoot 40 set over 40%, which is Derek Rose. Who's not known as a three point shooter. So that's kind of an issue for me. But the one thing I'll say is that I think, I think we both agree that, you know, the Knicks need a point guard, or a guy that can run the show. And, you know, I would assume he's listed as a two guard, but he's more of a point to me. And, um, you know, Derek Rose, you know, he's really had a nice uh, resurgence the last few years, kind of embracing who he is now. He's not what he used to be, but I think he's playing some of his best basketball. Even, you know, people can say what they want, but I think Derek Rose is playing better basketball now than he did as an MVP with the Bulls, because I think he's embracing his role more now than he ever did. And, you know, while he's not the same athlete, I feel like he's a better all-around player. But, you know, the Knicks just need a guy that can run the show. And you're right. I don't think they've had an identity. I think I would assume it would fit perfectly in uh, Thibodeau's, um, you know, toughness model. You know, he averaged 20 points a game, six rebounds, five assists, so he can do a little bit of everything. He's an efficient scorer. Obviously, Illinois got crushed in the round of 32. Again, ruining my bracket. It feels like it happens every year. But, um, you know, he didn't play a great game against – Loyal in Chicago, but that doesn't take away from the great season he had. I think he fit in perfectly with, you know, the the New York fans' mindset of, you know, they want tough, gritty players. I think he fits that perfectly, and I think he does a little bit more than just be tough and gritty. He's a really good scorer and can really do a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think he can play a bunch of different spots. We'll have a real chance to play right away for sure. All right, so this is really interesting because, like, I don't know, like, where the Hawks can go here. I mean – you look at what they have. I mean, they signed Bogdanovich and uh, Gallinari, big free agency deals. You know, you got you got Kevin Herter. But I think – so they got a lot of shooting. I think what they need is – I think they need a backup point guard. Uh, I truly think that's what they need. I mean, I know Trey Young, you know. I know they got Lou Williams, but I don't really see – you know, Lou Williams hasn't been a huge part of the rotation in this playoff run, even the second half of the season after they got him from the Clippers. Uh, so I think they need a backup point guard. And uh, with that being said, I think they're going to go get Jared Butler. Um, again, you know, I, I truly think that Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell, I don't think there was a huge drop-off between the two of them. I think they were both kind of the same. I think Davion Mitchell showed more NBA promise. But, you know, Jared Butler, very similar. Davion Mitchell, they both play great defense. They both run the offense very well. They're both efficient scorers. They both can hit big shots. Um, you know, I, I don't know. The Hawks can go to a bunch of different directions here. I mean, I could see them go getting maybe Sharif Cooper from Auburn. Not a huge sample size, but he kind of showed a lot at Auburn as a scorer. Um, and, uh, but I think they do need a backup point guard. And I think this would be a good fit for them. And, you know, Jared Butler is a veteran guy. Like, he's one of the older guys in this draft. I, he might even be older than Trey Young. So to have a guy that's very mature and played a lot of years of college basketball, I think is very valuable. Um, and I think he could take over that backup point guard role and really be a good playmaker off the bench for him. Yeah, I agree. I think that'd be a good fit just in terms of trying to get Atlanta adding more talent. They're going to be a playoff team 
most likely year in and year out, and add a guy, as you said, that is ready to play right away. You're at the backup point guard, probably play the two a little bit. I like that fit there for sure. So the Knicks also have another pick at 21. Uh, I'm going to say Sharif Cooper from Auburn. I think they need to add two guards in these spots if they in- indeed stay. Uh, they definitely were they're definitely thin to say the least at guard last year. With Derrick Rose was pretty consistent. R.J. Barrett has improved, but they definitely need to add two guards that can play right away in this draft. And I think Sharif Cooper, just like Aldo Sumu, really potentially could earn that starting point guard spot. I think both of them could be in play for that. If Derrick Rose is re-signed, he also would be in play for that. But I'd be shocked if the Knicks go with any power forward or center in the, in the draft, especially if they keep both picks. So I think Sharif Cooper could be an interesting fit for the Knicks here. And I think a guy that – he certainly has a lot of talent, obviously a small sample size. But I think in terms of a ceiling, I think he could be a really good player. No, I agree. Um, you know, you look at his assist to turnover ratio, I'm looking at it right now. He averaged eight assists a game, which is really good, but he also averaged four turnovers. Like, that's got to be cleaned up, especially if you want to play for Tibbs. But he did average 20 points. Not an efficient score. You know, he shot 22% from three, 39% from the field. But I kind of look at Shreve Cooper as, you know, he's got a lot of upside as a scorer. He scored 20 points a game, and he didn't shoot the ball efficiently. So that means he's kind of a volume guy. But, again, that Auburn team last year wasn't super talented. But the eight assists tell me that he's a playmaker and he can create for himself and his teammates. I think that's something the Knicks need. You know, if you looked at the Knicks this past year, they just, you know, obviously Derrick Rose came on late in the year. But, like, Emmanuel quickly struggled at times with his shot and his confidence. You know, and they don't, you know, RJ still needs to work on his shot. But they don't have a lot of guys that really run the, run the team very well. Frank Nidakina needs to go. I don't know why he's still on the team. Like, he plays six seconds in the playoffs. He got cooked by Trey Young, never played again. That, to me, is the last time he'll ever wear a Knicks jersey uh, uniform. Alfred Payton needs to go. I think Tibbs lost confidence in him after the first half of the season. So I, they just need to go out there and get enough. Yeah, you're right. They got to get two guards. I think that's what they needed all along. They need guys that can score and run the show. And, um, you know, both Iota Sumu and Sharif Cooper can score. And uh, they both can really pass the ball well. And I think that's something they need. They need guards that can run the offense and create for themselves along with you know, Julius Randle, I assume RJ is going to keep working on his shot. Uh, with that being said, I, I think you're right. I think those are two really good picks for them. Whether it's those two or whether it's a combination of, you know, maybe Moses Moody or Jared Butler, um, Cameron Thomas. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, any of those guys could slide to them. Uh, maybe Trey Mann. So there's a lot of options, but I think you're right. I think the Nets need to go with two guards. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, I mean, now you got the Lakers, but I'd love to see the chances of the Lakers keeping this pick versus not keeping it, but we'll see. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, like the Lakers, I really don't know what they're going to do because to me, like, they would be insane to re sign Dennis Schroeder. I mean, Dennis Schroeder passed down, passed up an opportunity for a four year extension, three, four year extension for like 80, over $80 million. Like, you got to be crazy to not take that money because he's not going to get that money anywhere else. Having said that, um, you know, I, to me, the Lakers need a guy that can shoot because last year they had one guy on the whole team that played significant minutes in LeBron James that shot over 30% from three. Schroeder was barely over, you know, and then you got guys like Marcus Shaw and such 63%, but like he didn't play a lot of minutes the whole season. So that's why that's there. And then obviously Ben McLemore shot 33, but he also didn't play a lot. So I, I think the Lakers need to go get a guy that can, that can shoot a little bit. And, um, you know, with that being said, I definitely think that this guy's uh, really played well in the tournament. Uh, Chris Duarte, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing with LeBron, okay? I think LeBron James, 
likes guys that are smart and likes more mature guys. I think that's why like him and Kuzma don't always see eye to eye because I don't think Kuzma is a really smart player. And I think he just takes bad shots and just make bonehead decisions. You know, Chris Duarte, you know, is a good shooter. He shot 42% from three last year, 38% in his two years at Oregon. Um, and he averaged, you know, and his scoring jumped from 12.9 his first year there to 17.1. Um, and he's great on the defensive end, averaged 1.8 steals in two seasons. Um, he's an efficient scorer. His, uh, he shot 63% from two-point field goal percentage. Like, so to me, like, the Lakers need a guy that is more mature, can create his own shot, and is a good shooter and plays defense. That's exactly what he does. And I think LeBron James, he likes guys that really embrace their role and understand that the, and they know what they're good at. Um, this guy's a senior. He transferred in to Oregon. So, like I said, he's an older guy. He's a 6'6 shooting guard um, who scores efficiently and plays good defense. I think that's perfect fit for the Lakers. I think that's something they need. I, I, I think he can help them win right now rather than maybe a project that might not pan out for a couple years. Yeah, I do agree. I don't see him taking a project kind of guy. He's definitely, I think, he's one of the oldest players in the draft. So, he's certainly ready to play. He can knock down shots, which is what we saw this past year, what the Lakers really need. So I'll jump into Houston now at 23. Uh, this guy was really up and down in Kentucky, Isaiah Jackson. I mean, I, certainly at 23, probably good value. I know most, most I guess, media outlets have him as a top 15 prospect. But so at 23, I think Isaiah Jackson, another forward. If you could pair him with Jalen Suggs, another big man, another athletic big that Houston potentially could use. So I think at, at this point, it'd be good value to get a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, the Rockets are going young everywhere. I mean, Christian Wood and Kenny Martin Jr. and Kelly Olenek, not, Olenek not so much, but they're all pretty young. You know, I, I think you're right. You know, you know, you want youth all over your roster. I, I think this would be good for them. I mean, I think the whole Kentucky team um, struggled last year. You know, it wasn't just him. It was, it was everybody. But I think out of all of the Kentucky players, um, he was probably uh, the best out of all of them. Um, it's not saying a lot, but, you know, he did, um, you know, he did get, he did average two and a half blocks a game and uh, he started to show more offensive potential late in the season. Uh, he averaged four straight double, uh, double figure games before the SEC tournament. So I think uh, he's got a high ceiling for his offensive game. I just think it's going to take some time to work that out, but you know, you can't, you can't, forget about the defense. I mean, two and a half blocks is pretty good at the college level. Um, you know, I, so I think for a team rebuilding and going young, I think that's a, I think that'd be a good fit for them. Yes, we certainly will see. So now they have another pick. So let's see who you're giving them. Yeah. There's like, you know, the Rockets and the Thunder, man. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how teams don't value. I mean, I get it. You know, you want to, you don't you win with veterans that are proven players, but like you never know what these young guys. I mean, like that's why it's such a huge risk giving up all these picks because like you could be making a huge mistake. But I think with that being said, um, you know I think you look at the guard player right now for the Rockets. Okay, let's assume they take Jalen Suggs. You still got Deshaun Tate, Avery Bradley, Daniel House, Sterling Brown, Amani Brooks. Like that's not a lot to you know write home about. With that being said, I'm gonna give them another. Um, you know, high upside potential score in Zaire Williams uh, at Stanford. You know, I didn't – so I, I don't think I've ever seen this guy play, which is, like, bad, right, because I'm talking about him right now. But, you know, I, I actually heard about this guy coming out of high school. And, um, 
you know, based on what I've heard is, you know, this guy's got a lot of, he's got a high upside to be an elite scorer at the next level, but you know, the stats don't reflect that, you know, average 10 points a game shot 37% from the field, 29% from three, uh, not a great rebounder or sister, you know, averaged four and a half rebounds a game, two assists. So, um, you know, there's not a lot there, but I think he's really raw. And again, you know, with, with a Rockets team that just needs, you know, upside and talented guys, I think he fits that mold. And, uh, you know, this Rockets team is going to grow up together. Um, you know, they have, unless they make a trade, you know, they have three first round picks this year and then you know, they got a lot of other picks um, going forward. So just like the Thunder, so like I said, just like the Thunder, I think, you know, they just need guys that are, in their eyes, good fits long term and will fit their long-term plan. I, I think Zaire Williams can be that for them. Yeah, certainly a project. I know he was super talented coming out of high school, but didn't, I think, live up to, I think, the hype as much as built at Stanford, but certainly a talented player. So Houston has a young core. I think he fits right into that, just trying to bring, bring all these young guys together and see who, see who sticks. So I think he definitely will fit the mold of that. So now I got the Clippers at 25. I was going to go with a big man here, but even in the playoffs, you've seen in some series, Zubas has barely played. They really stayed away from the big guys. So I'm going to say a different name. I'm going to go with a wing, Trey Murphy from Virginia. I know I saw somewhere that he decided to stay in the draft because someone told him he's going to be a first-round pick. So I expect to be one of these teams late in the first round. So I think Trey Murphy could fit. He's a two-way player. Obviously can defend like the best of them in this draft playing at Virginia for Tony Bennett. But definitely got a, a wing that can knock down the three, can score a little bit on the inside. So I think – kind of player he is and the Clippers are definitely trying to win now still I think he's a guy that could step in and be in the rotation right away absolutely shot over 43 percent from three last year and his one true season of playing and uh plays at played at an exceptionally high level defensively I think Tyron Lue would appreciate that you know I think for a Clippers scene that we've seen them in the playoffs they haven't been as good from three as they were in the regular season and they haven't been as good at the free throw line I think he can help there in both areas and I think you know, being versatile and being a strong defender is so valuable even in today's game with the, the rule changes. Uh, I think that'd be a good fit for them. You know, I like the I like the young wings and young guards the Clippers have. You know, Terrence Mann, um, you know, they, they still got Paul George, got Luke Kennard. So, you know, they got some guys that can score and some guys that can defend a little bit, you know, and um, you're right about Zubac. I think they might be able to look at a big. But remember, they do have that young rookie that hasn't played a lot, Daniel Oturo. I, I think we'll see him play a lot more next year. Um, because we don't know what's going to happen with Surge health-wise. But I think Daniel Arturo has got a high ceiling, so you know maybe they'll look at him next year. Um, I kind of look at Arturo as Terrence Mann, and we might, no one's going to know who he is for a couple of years, but when he starts to play, we'll start to know who he is. But, uh, yeah, I think they might need a little bit more wing help, especially because you know if Kawhi does leave, you know they, they're going to need more depth on the wings. I think Trey Murphy would fit that mold of 3 and D. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a perfect fit, so we'll see if that definitely will happen. But... Who you got Denver taking? Man, the Nuggets. I mean, I just – I don't know. Like, because, you know, Jamal Murray's health is a little interesting to consider. You know, Michael Porter Jr. has got a high ceiling. You know, they still have Aaron Gordon. I, I don't know. I feel like the Nuggets can go in a lot of different directions here. Um, you know, they got good backup guards coming off the bench, Monte Morris. Oh, man. I I really don't know. Um, You know, I'm going to say – Man, you're putting me on the spot because I don't – I honestly have no idea who they're going to pick here. And this to me, like – this to me kind of feels like a team that's going to trade down. Um, I'll say Charles Bassey, Western Kentucky. 
Um, yeah, I know he kind of doesn't fit like the exact mold. And I feel like the Nets are kicking themselves right now because I feel like this would be a guy that the Nets would take. And um, but you know, I think he's not he's not he's not he's complete opposite from Joker, right? I mean, you know, this guy is a he obviously really good. I mean, he averaged over you know 16 points a game in his three years at Western Kentucky. Um, you know, he's a great shot blocker. You know, that's something that really stands out is his shot blocking ability. Um, and, you know, the conference tournament, you know, he had 15 blocks in five games. That's a pretty great – that's a pretty good sample size. Uh, he's an efficient scorer, but he's more of a back-to-the-basket guy. But with Paul Millsap, I believe he's a free agent. That kind of opens up some minutes um, for him inside. And I think it kind of would give a defense a different look. You know, Joker's – not a great back to the basket player. Like he can certainly, that's certainly part of his game, but you know, he's more of a finesse player. You can shoot, he can kind of maneuver his way around defenders inside and kind of, you know, do crazy one-legged faders or little hook shots in the rim around the rim. But I think uh, Bassey just gives them more defense inside, which I don't think they had a lot in the postseason. You know, I think Paul Millsap's really struggled as he's aged and Aaron Gordon wasn't the same offensive player or defensive player in the, against the Suns. So I think adding some more, you know, interior defense and interior scoring, a little bit of a different look from Joker would actually be beneficial for them. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think he that's kind of, that's kind of what they need off the bench, a guy that can protect the rim, catch lobs, rebound. That's the kind of guy they need, so I could see that pick happening for sure. So now for Brooklyn, I think there's a lot of ways they can go. I'm going to say Usman Garuba from Spain. Definitely kind of an unknown player. I think he has some qualities that the Nets are in need of. I think he, he specializes, he, he's a super athlete, plays really hard, can rebound. In his time in the EuroLeague, I know he's he's been tasked with, as a 6'8 player, he's guarded the other team's best player pretty much every game. Uh, he's, he's still developing that part of his game. But I think the Nets need, they need a guy that will be willing to do the dirty work, not really hunt shots, not really need shots, just do all the little work. I think he may be a project, but I think he can find his way on the court and the kind of guy they need that is, can just really defend I know the Nets, even in the regular season, their star players, not every night are getting down and ready to defend. But this guy, if he can come and defend, rebound, even dive on the floor with all those little qualities, I think that matters for a team that's trying to win a championship. Um, I don't know a thing about this guy, so I'm just going to take your word at it, and I'm going to say, yeah, that's exactly what the Nets need. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, literally, I literally don't know. I've never even heard of him, so I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Um, I do that a lot anyway. But um, no, I'm not even gonna go into that. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sure, yo, yo, Usman, I'm sure you're a good guy, bro. If you're ever, if you ever listen to this somehow, probably not, because you know no one listens to this. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, a lot of European players are, you know, their projects take a few years to kind of pan out, but we'll see. Um, so my my boy Ben Simmons, um, yeah, you're trash, bro. I'm just going to say it. Like, I'm not going to be professional about it. Um, you coast on your talent. You're going to be traded. So with that being said, Nashawn Highland, point guard VCU, um, is going to go to the 76ers and replace the soon-to-be-departed uh, Ben Simmons. Um, you know, Highland is everything that Simmons is not. Um, he's not – obviously, he's not as big. You know, 6'3", 170. He's going to have to fill out his frame, but he's a scorer. Um, he's not afraid to shoot average close to 20 points a game last year for VCU. Unfortunately, 
you know, I was actually really excited to watch this guy play in the tournament. I think you might have been too. Like, I remember we were talking about him. But, you know, VCU never got to play because, you know, they had some COVID tests, like, like literally, like, the night before they were supposed to play Oregon. So their game got canceled. Oregon advanced. But, yeah, he shot 44% from the field, 37% from three, 86% from the free throw line. Wow. All three numbers that Ben Simmons will never see in his career. So he's already a better offensive player than Ben Simmons. And he averages two steals. Wow. So he's like Ben Simmons, but he's smaller and he's better offensively. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me, man. Sounds pretty good. Um, you know, this guy can light up the gym. Like I said, 20 points a game. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I just – I don't care for Ben Simmons. Um, you know, I don't – I think he's a good player. He's an all-star, but I think that's all he'll be. And, um, you know, they need to move on and go get a point guard that um, won't be afraid to take big shots and big moments and go to the free throw line. And this kid looks just like it. He'll, I think he'll fit that mold. So I think they're going to go get him. No, I think it does matter. I think in certain cities, I think like Boston, New York, and Philly, I think it, I think guys that are mentally tough, physically tough, or just tough players seem to be guys who stick and do well in those areas. And I think he's one of those guys, definitely talented, but also tough as nails. So I think – I know his nickname is Bones Highland. Like he's, huh. he's, he's, he's tough. And as you said, I know you threw some digs at Ben Simmons, but I think personality-wise, I think the complete opposite of Ben Simmons is a guy that – Really, another self-made player, and I think that's why he could be successful in Philly. And so listen to this. He was, wait, well, one second. Nashaw Highland was born and raised in Delaware. So Delaware is pretty close to Philly. So, I mean, I kind of look at him as a hometown kid. I don't know if he was a 76ers fan growing up, but if he was, and he's real close to his hometown, I think that's another reason why I think he he himself would even want to go play for the 76ers. Yeah, absolutely. You can see that for sure. So for Phoenix, I think very well could be coming off a championship. I think this guy out of Texas, Greg Brown, I think he certainly – he wasn't as good as I thought he would be this past year at Texas, but certainly a talented athlete. He needs to develop his offensive game, but defensively he could play right away. I think I think Phoenix has the opportunity to take a little bit of a risk on a guy. I think Greg Brown has all the tools to be a lottery talent. Certainly didn't show that at Texas this past year. Showed he was pretty limited, but – can shoot the ball a little bit, but he's a great athlete, great defensive player. So I think Phoenix could take a risk on a talented player who didn't show a lot in his freshman year. But certainly, these guys are still young, so there could be some some skills that could still come out of him at such a young age. So I'm going to say Greg Brown out of Texas. I think Greg Brown has a lot of similarities to Kai Jones. I think they both have extremely high upside on the offensive end, but right now they're kind of just rim runners and uh, lob threats. But you know, I, I think – He's a little bit smaller than Kai Jones size-wise, but I do think that, yeah, defensively, I think they have a lot of good intangibles already. They're just going to have to fill out their frames a little bit and kind of just develop on the offensive end, but that just comes over time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is something that you're going to have to uh, consider. But, again, you know, the Suns right now, they could be coming off a championship, and uh, they don't have a lot of depth inside behind DeAndre Ayton. And I guess J- Dario Sargent Crowder. So I think going for a high upside guy, I think he would flourish under Chris Paul's leadership. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to, we're going to finish up. So we, we talked about the Utah jazz to me, the jazz are a team that, you know, they need length. They need length and scoring on the perimeter. I mean, that's like the problem for me is that, you know, obviously we don't know if Mike Conley is going to come back, but I do think that 
this player is actually interesting. I think he would fit the the mold in Utah. Aaron Henry from Michigan State. The one thing I'll say about Aaron Henry is he's not a great three-point shooter to be a great 3 and D prospect at the NBA level. But I think Utah does such a great job of coaching guys up and helping develop players that I think within a couple of years, his three-point shooting will get better because he flashed a lot of potential scoring-wise at Michigan State. But I think the thing that makes him appealing to Utah is something that they need is he's um, – he he embraces his he embraced his role at Michigan State. You know, when he was young, he was kind of a corner shooter, played defense. But as you know, he kind of developed in his time at Michigan State. He kind of became more of their go-to guy. That to me shows a lot of maturity and awareness to what your role is on a team. And I think that's important for a team with you know veterans like maybe Mike Conley, but you know even more than that, you know Gobert, Bogdanovich, Ingles, Clarkson, guys that have been in the league for a long time. Even Donovan Mitchell is kind of the leader of the team right now. Having a guy like that that embraces their role and can guard one through four, he's got great size, wingspan, and he's an, an athlete who can only improve as an offensive player. And he's also doesn't need to be a ball-dominant guy either. That's that's a great fit for me. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. I think certainly could fit where Utah's trying to do. A guard that come off the bench can potentially start, fill many roles. That's kind of got Utah needs. But as we always say, our, usually our first mock draft's a little bit crazy but we'll see i mean there's a lot of talent there's a lot of talent in this draft even late in the first round there's a lot of guys to be had and aaron henry at 30 certainly it's a talented player to get there yeah he's just one of those late very late first round guys early second round but you know like i said i'll just say one more thing about him i I do think he fits really well with utah you know they got exposed in the playoffs with their lack of wing defenders because they couldn't stop paul george or Kawhi leonard or terrence mann in that big game six so i think having a guy that he doesn't need the ball to be good, but he can, you know, go ISO and score ISO if he needs to. But he's more – he's a great wing defender and can really switch, help them defensively. And um, I, I think that's uh, – I don't know if he's going to – I don't know if he is picked there. I don't know if he would play a lot right away. But I certainly think he could, you know, kind of fight his way into the rotation over the course of his rookie year if that didn't have, ended up playing out. Yeah, absolutely. Zero would have an opportunity to play. I mean – would have to fit in many different roles, but I think he could definitely fight his way into the rotation for sure. All right, Eddie, thanks for joining me today. Um, this was really fun. I'm sure we'll do it again in a few weeks. Um, I will upload this episode probably in a couple of days, kind of space out my last one that I did. But having said that, it was a real blast. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, for Eddie Whitman, I'm Corey Griff. This is the Get a Grip podcast. Uh, please share with your family and friends and uh, have a great rest of your day. Hope you enjoy this, and I will see you soon. Core Grip tuning out.